This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 366, and you're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some with a little trick. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, it's Daniel Glass. I want to welcome you back to the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. Today on the podcast, I would like to talk about roles. Roles that we play as musicians, not necessarily the musical roles that we play in terms of what we actually do uh, with our instrument in the context of, of the band, but more the roles that we play within the organizations in which we work. In other words, uh, are you a leader? Are you a sideman? Uh, these are broad categories, broad terms, and one of the things I'd like to do today is to clarify a little bit more what they mean, because I think a lot of times musicians find themselves in situations and they're unclear about what role they have assumed, uh, and they therefore are unhappy with the scenario in which they find themselves. Um, and I'll get a little more specific about this, but uh, it's, it's, I would like to really take some time today, having been in this business for a long time, and having been on the leader side, the sideman side, uh, kind of on every side of the situation, hopefully I can maybe clarify some things and also kind of point out uh, that within each of these roles that we assume, that number one, they are our decision to assume them. We are not stuck in these roles. We can change the way that that we set that up. Uh, And also that we have to take responsibility. We cannot put ourselves in a particular role and then complain when that plays out as it's going to play out and, and, you know, we're we're not happy with it. So we need to take responsibility and we have to have some clarity as far as are we a leader? Are we a sideman? So I'm going to talk about this in two different settings. One is, is more literal. Um, leader being that you are in charge of a particular band and uh, you are, say, hiring the sidemen or you've taken on the complete responsibility for the project. And on the flip side of that, as a sideman, you are either being paid to show up and do your job or you understand that you are not in any kind of Uh, leadership capacity. So I'm going to talk about that first, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about being in your own band with other people in the band, uh, where it's more of a democratic kind of a situation. But as we all know, even in the most democratic of situations, things uh, often, uh, you know, establish themselves where certain band members be, uh, end up being more like leaders, other band members end up being more like sidemen. And lastly, I'm going to talk about the role of us drummers in this whole game. In other words, I think a lot of times drummers end up being shoved into the role of sideman sort of permanently. You know, society does this and we do this to ourselves. And um, I want to talk about my own experience because I've definitely been on both sides of this coin. And so what it means for drummers and especially drummers that feel like they maybe want to try to be a leader, but they can't, they don't know how to get there. So uh, let's start just by talking about straight up 
you know, leader slash sidemen. And of course, I should start by saying that both of these roles, leader and sideman, and by sideman, I mean side women as well, maybe side person is a better way to describe this, but certainly uh, I'm not uh, excluding women from this conversation at all. Uh, but leader, let's talk a little bit more about what being a leader means. So if if you are the person that is the creative force behind your project and it's all about you, it's all about your your music, your musical idea, whether it's an original band or whether you've put together more of a commercial band where you're playing covers um, and you're going to be the one that's in charge, it's your vision, you're going to choose the music that's going to get played um, and you're going to take on the business aspect of booking the band and, um, you know, calling the rehearsals, setting up the logistics of all of that stuff, uh, and then paying people, of course, then, you know, that's it. You are the leader. And, you know, there are good and bad sides to all of these roles, right? So in the leader role, the positives are that you get to be in charge. You get to say what goes, what gives, um, and you get to determine the schedule, uh, you get to, you know, uh, be in charge uh, and make all those creative decisions, which is great. You're the leader. Yeah. The flip side is you you generally have to do all of the work involved with being a leader. And that means calling the rehearsals, you know, making the phone calls to, to get the gigs, uh, calling everybody up. And, you know, then you often get into a position which which is common to people in positions of authority, which is that you end up herding cats, you know, chasing the side men around and being the one that has to be the heavy all the time, right? And that's definitely not a, a fun situation to be in. You also have to be responsible in terms of, you know, making sure people get paid um, and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, so it, it, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a good position because you've got the power. It's a tough position because all the responsibility for everything falls on you. Uh, so, you know, let's now look at the sideman uh, in that scenario. When you are the sideman, the great part is somebody calls you, you show up, all you are expected to do is show up, and you do your job, uh, whatever instrument you play, you get paid, and you're done. That is the sole, uh, you know, measure of your responsibility. You don't have to book the gig, you don't have to um, you know, deal with the, the the club owner or the you know whoever is 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 hiring the group to play. Uh, you simply show up and do your job. Uh, that's the good side. The bad side is you have absolutely no stake in the game, so no skin in the game. I suppose we could say so. Um, you are um, expendable. If the, the leader does not like the job you do or does not like you as a person, uh, then, you know, they don't have to call you. And now you're sitting around waiting for your phone to ring. And that, I think, is the downside of being a sideman, is that, yeah, you're the, the hired gun, you know, the, 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 the fast gun in the West, but at the same time, you have no power in this situation. And so, you know, the, both of these jobs require a, a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of skill set, and we need to make sure that we are comfortable in that skill set. Otherwise, we're not going to happy, be happy being in that role. You know, so, for example, as a leader, 
you have responsibilities to your sidemen. A lot of times when when a sideman works for a leader, and, and probably a lot of you out here that are listening are going to agree with a lot of things I'm saying because you've been in this situation. If you're a leader, you need to uh, be responsible. You need to get people good directions. You need to be clear about what it is that you want from them. Exactly. The clearer you are, the better. I've been in a sideman. I'm going to use a lot of my personal experiences here. I've been in, a, you know, worked for different leaders as a sideman. And sometimes people are very organized. I remember a band leader in Los Angeles, he would send out the most comprehensive sheet before each gig, explaining what, exactly what we were going to wear, exactly what the load-in directions were, exactly uh, how to get you know, into the venue, the best way to get there, good directions. This was back before GPS. He would put a MapQuest page uh, you know, in, in, into the, the email that he would send out. Uh, he would tell you exactly what it was getting paid. He would tell you if you were getting fed. Um, you know, these kinds of pieces of information are really helpful, and they will immediately, um, you know, uh, make any kind of conflict that could potentially come up, they will end it, because you, as the leader, have taken responsibility for what, you know, what your job is, which is to set everything up and make it as crystal clear as possible what is expected of your sidemen and what they are going to be compensated for. And then, of course, you know, the follow-through is you have to pay on time. Uh, There's nothing, you know, more frustrating uh, for a sideman than to, you know, have unclarity. So I've had other band leaders where you get very little information. Maybe they give you the address of whatever the venue is, and then you get there and there's a very complex load-in situation. Say it's a big hotel or um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a club where there's not a lot of parking and you have to double park or, you know, to try to get in and, and things like that. And a lot of times leaders don't think about what the sidemen have to deal with. They just want the sideman to, to, to sort of figure that out on their own. So clarity from a leader is a really great thing. Clarity on the bandstand is also a really great thing. So if you hire great players, you have to give them the tools and the ability to be able to do their best. You know, so I do a lot of gigs that there are charts involved. And someone who really understands how to make charts, charts for drummers, that doesn't necessarily mean drum charts. It means charts that have great information for you know, each instrument as, as far as the right roadmap that they need. Um, and, you know, but even if you're playing in a, say, a classic rock band, you know, kind of talking things down in advance, obviously rehearsing, you know, rehearsing helps. Um, but that, you know, those kinds of things, clear musical direction on stage, if you are the leader, um, sidemen want to be led. You know, that is, that is, they have given up their authority, suppose, you know, ostensibly to, to take control, but then you need to take control and you need to be clear with what's going on. Now, the flip side, let's talk about sidemen. So as a sideman, you know, your responsibility ostensibly, again, is to show up and play your instrument well, but it's again, much more than that. Um, you need to show up on time. You need to uh, respect the fact that, you know, someone has gone through and done all of this work on your behalf 
And so showing up on time, looking good, having a good attitude, that's the biggest problem. You know, the, the downside with that what side men get into and, you know, is that they feel somehow that as long as they show up, they really don't need to do much else. And they begin to forget that there's a lot of other work involved with creating a gig. So if a side man shows up and is a grouch, don't expect to get called back again. Or if you show up and start demanding things that weren't included from the leader, either in terms of money or amenities, food or parking or this or that, you know, then again, that, that, creates, that creates conflict. And if I'm the leader on the band, I will more than likely, even if it's a great player, probably not be hiring that person again. So part of the sideman is you show up, you're, you know, you're early or on time. Uh, you, don't, you, you, you don't cause any extra problems. You know, I, I have, I've had sidemen where no matter how clear I was on the directions I put when I was a leader, you know, putting directions, I still get a call. Hey, man, where's the, you know, I can't find the thing. So, so no matter what I did to try to alleviate that, knowing that this person is, is challenged directionally speaking, they would um, still you know, call me. I'm in the middle of scrambling and trying to get set up and dealing with the client and all those kind of things. Uh, I don't, you know, you don't want to become a burden, right? And there are side men that complain about, about every little thing. And, and then, you know, they, th- when it comes to money, the worst thing you can do as a side man is accept the gig for this much money and then complain about it anyway, after the fact. So, as a sideman, my personal rule is that if I take a gig and I know what the money is up front, then I have no right to further complain about the money. Done. You know, um, I think the most sort of interesting, famous example of, of this sort of a scenario are the famous Buddy Rich tapes, right? And the, the famous tapes he made that were made of him yelling at his band on the bus, cursing them out putting them down, telling them that, that, that they're, you know, worthless and, and this and that and the other. Now, a lot of people, when they hear these tapes, say, man, Buddy Rich, what, a, what an a-hole. You know, God, that guy was just a complete jerk. And yeah, there's a lot of stories about Buddy that are less than positive. But, you know, the more that I have run bands, especially larger bands that have a lot of, of members, you know, Royal Crown Review, we had, you know, eight, nine people sometimes in the band. And when you know, you're dealing with that many people. Uh, and when, you know, let's specifically talking about Buddy Rich, Buddy, Buddy Rich was one of the, you know, if not the greatest drummer of all time, an incredible technician. By the time he began his own big band, I mean, he'd run several bands over the course of his career, but by the time that he began that that band in 1964, that would sustain him for the rest of his life for another, you know, 20 years or so, he had already had you know, 40 or, uh, you know, 40, 50 years in the industry as one of the top drummers, uh, top performers. So he understood professionalism and he understood what, what, what was being required. And he set the bar very high because, as I just said, he was one of the greatest technicians, one of the greatest drummers ever to pick up a pair of sticks. Now, 
you know, at the time in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s when he was running that band, it's very difficult and expensive to manage and operate and run a big band. And most of the people he hired in that big band, especially as time went on, were younger players, maybe right out of college, who were, uh, you know, they were they were the shit at North Texas State or USC or Indiana or, you know, Berkeley or whatever schools that they went to. Um, and maybe they had been the best, you know, trumpet player in their high school and then in their college, and they had some attitude thinking, hey, man, I'm, I'm where it's at. Uh, but then when you step into the real world and you're playing with somebody at the level of Buddy Rich, you cannot have that attitude anymore. You cannot, you know, act as if you know it all, because if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you don't. You really don't. You haven't lived life. You haven't been a musician enough. You have to show respect. And I think, you know, oftentimes, Buddy, the 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 anger, you know, uh, or the way he yelled at the band, um, I've been in that position. And certainly not to necessarily treat people that way. You don't want to mistreat people. On the other hand, people need to know that they can't simply... Uh, you know, have have attitude. And Buddy ran his band with an iron hand. And again, if you're going to take the gig and you're going to take the money, then you got to live by the band leader's rules. And that's that. You know, if you don't like it, leave. No one's forcing you to stay in any gig. And I think the, the worst thing a sideman can do is stay in a gig that they don't like or show up over and over again to a gig they don't like and make it plain that they're not happy. Uh, you know, if you're going to take the money, show up and be the greatest sideman that you can possibly be. Now, same goes for a leader. You know, if 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 you want to assume that role, then pay people on time. You know, don't jerk people around with regard to money. Uh, don't say one thing. Don't make promises. Don't be vague. And then, you know, flip-flop uh, as far as uh, on the other side of the coin. Uh, when it comes time for you to compensate your sideman for, for sideman for showing up and doing what it is that that you have hired them to do, uh, so you know there's so many different variations on a theme when we when we're talking about this this particular subject. But um, you know uh, it's fun. It's just funny about the Buddy Rich thing because I. You know, when I first heard those tapes, I was like, ah, what a jerk. But then after a few years, a bunch of years of being in the business, I'm like, I can understand why he would be upset and, you know, want to, want to, you know, lay down the law, so to speak. And and it's something that you have to kind of constantly do. So there's this sort of dynamic where everyone is thinking about their own role and not really being very empathic. You know, for a lot of sidemen, they have never been a leader. They have never picked up the phone and booked a gig. They have never had to deal with calling musicians and then dealing with the 50 questions that you get or people getting lost or showing up late and, you know, pulling the gig down in, in that way. And so, you know, and, and a leader, on the other hand, you know, isn't, isn't very interested in what, you know, what their, their side men are experiencing on, on that end of the coin. So, you know, doing both roles, I think, is really helpful. Living in both, um, living on both sides of this equation is a, a very important experience that all musicians should, should have. Um, let's let's sort of flip-flop now and talk a little bit about the sort of uh, within a uh, 
democratic organization, meaning if you have your own band. And a lot of times it's, it's actually really unclear. People get together and they say, hey, let's make a band and let's either, you know, play our own original music or let's play covers of some kind or another and go out and try to get some gigs playing in blues bars or, you know, jazz clubs or whatever, whatever it may be. Let's go get weddings. And, you know, especially when you're young and you're just getting into your first you know, rock band or whatever, you never think about these things. You're like, hey, let's play music. Cool. I like you. You like me. Great. But over time, the dynamic of leader and sideman is going to uh, eventually begin to establish itself naturally because of people's personalities. And when anybody is involved in an organization of some kind, uh, this is simply what happens. You know, there, there, it's a dynamic that can't be avoided, really. And so certain people are going to establish themselves as being better on the business side of things. Um, you know, they're, they're just naturally better at maybe putting the merch out at the end of the night, dealing with money. Um, you know, they're uh, better at uh, making those phone calls, uh, at, you know, organizing a rehearsal. Um, other members of the band are going to establish themselves, and sometimes it's the same person, but they're going to establish themselves as um, having a lot of musical ideas and wanting to contribute a lot to the musical process. Um, and so it's, it's hard when you get in those situations because it isn't as clearly defined as the first scenario that I was talking about, which is someone says, it's my project, I'm the leader, I'm going to hire you, or I'm going to bring you on. Um, and, you know, it's, it's at, this, at that sort of point in the game, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in music, uh, you know, or being in musical con- outfits, conglomerates, uh, you know, bands, so to speak, it, it, is, um, it, can be, it can be very tricky. And so I think what I could offer as advice here is to talk about it and to clearly define things and to make sure that, every, that everyone respects everyone else. In other words, um, you know, in a lot of bands, the people that are in charge of the musical part of the band get the credit and the respect and are sort of told that they are the leader, right? Because, you know, maybe they're the singer or the guitar player, they're out front, um, and you know, they, uh, so they, they are, feel like they are the leader, they are in control, but often the ones that have the creative, their creative thing together do not have their business thing together. And you have other members of the band that are sort of unsung heroes who do all the business, organize the gigs, and they often feel very, uh, put upon and resentful and feel like they're not being compensated. And then, for example, if you get signed to a record deal, uh, or your music begins to get out there in the world and it gets licensed for things, or, you know, the, the music itself gets monetized, then those who created the music are rewarded. Um, but those who do the business are, you know, not necessarily rewarded and, and are sort of made to feel like second-class citizens. So, you know, my, my, if you are serious about your band and you really love it and you want to commit to it, then it's important that you create a band agreement and you talk about these things and everyone has mutual respect. Maybe you even talk about a division of labor in terms of who is going to do what. And if some people feel more comfortable doing the business stuff versus doing the creative stuff, then they should be compensated for the work that they do. Uh, It's sort of like if you have an in-house, you know, if you hired an accountant, say, or you hired a booking agent, you would have to pay them. So maybe if someone takes on that role, they get 10% of, you know, all the gigs that get booked, uh, the financials. 
or um, they get paid out of whatever money comes in. They get paid a certain amount for the accounting work that they do. Uh, You know, sometimes one person does everything, and then that person establishes themselves as the leader. Well, you know, again, then that becomes can become a weird dynamic because the other members of the band, although they all are quote-unquote equal members, are not really pulling their weight in terms of the organization itself. So that needs to be addressed. And maybe the, the leader says, you know, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, I'm putting my name on these songs because I wrote them. So if things happen, then, uh, you know, with the music, then that money is going to come to me for the creative side, even though everybody goes out and performs the songs. Some bands in the past have simply split everything evenly. Uh, no matter who writes the songs or how it works, it just alleviates uh, issues. So, for example, the band Rush, uh, three members, and they all write the music together. Neil Peart writes the lyrics, or wrote the lyrics. So they just decided early on, it doesn't matter who brings what to the table, we're going to divide up uh, all the musical share equally amongst us, and Neil will get credit for the lyrics. And once they agreed on that, then... Uh, they, you know, they, they could coexist in a mutual environment of respect and it was not, um, an issue. It didn't come up. Well, on that song, I wrote, you know, 20% and I wrote 10%. No, you wrote 5% and I wrote 25%, you know, and these kinds of things can really tear a band apart if it's, especially if you have people in the band that don't necessarily, uh, are not necessarily good at communication. And so things, rather than having a conversation, coming to a conclusion and moving on, nothing gets talked about and then people explode, right? And that's how bands fall apart. That's how bands break apart. That's how resentments build up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's good to think about these things at the beginning or as you're developing something and everybody try to be, you know, honest about it and be respectful of the other people. Uh, be empathic. See, try to see it from the other person's point of view, which of course is difficult when you're involved in in creation, uh, you know, creating music. Um, but at the same time, I think the bands that that are able to survive are the bands that work their way through that. Uh, and you know, I think another really important thing. Let's get a little more drum specific now. Uh, one thing that. Uh, you know, I have seen with not only in my own career, but with a lot of students as well, is that drummers, we tend to, drummers and bass players, you could say, the, the, the heart of the rhythm section, we tend to get automatically put into the position of being sidemen. And the sad part is, is that we kind of do this to ourselves. Well, society does it to us and we do it to ourselves. So we... Um, as drummers tend to, uh, you know, our contributions are not considered to be songwriting a lot of times. Uh, And so even if we come up with a great beat, well, sorry, you can't copyright a beat. You can only copyright a melody and a lyric. So if you didn't write the melody or the lyric, then you didn't really contribute to the writing of this song, which I think is a shame because drummers do contribute a lot. Uh, Drummers also always have more gear to carry. Uh, and a lot of times the rest of the band just assumes that that extra work uh, is part of the job, which you could say that it is. But when you're in a dedicated project and you're doing gigs, you know, 
you're all in it together to win it, well, maybe the band thinks about, let's get a tech. You know, even if you're the singer and you don't have any gear to carry, um, why should, you know, the drummer always have to do all this extra work? Or if you're in a band that often has to bring its own PA to the gig, who is doing that? And, you know, gear is another thing that sort of adds and builds up resentment among people that are in a creative project together. And so, you know, it can be a very selfish thing. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Or it can be, this is, we're on a shared quest, so let's handle community problems or community, you know, issues that come up with a community agreement. And I think, um, so, you know, that that's just sort of on a very practical level in terms of gear and that sort of thing. But on, on another level, in terms of being a sideman, I think drummers in general tend to feel like they must wait for someone else to take action in order for them to um, be involved in a, in a musical project. So I think, you know, we as drummers tend to always put ourselves in the position of being a sideman, whether we're in an original band or whether, um, you know, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves out to be hired. We always assume that whoever is writing the music or on the creative side of things is going to be the leader, and we're simply going to get get the call. We have to learn their music. And I think a lot of drummers, after years and years of doing this in many different projects, end up becoming resentful and feel like, I'm always making someone else's music sound great. I'm always making someone else's career happen. And I'm always sort of the last one to be considered in this process. And again, this can lead to resentment, it can lead to a lot of drummers getting feeling like they're being taken advantage of. I've had students over the years who say, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired, I'm a good drummer, and I'm really tired of working for like a singer-songwriter that'll call me up and say, can you learn 30 songs uh, for this coffee house gig I'm doing? And, you know, it only pays, you know, 75 bucks, but um, that would be great. And so you go, and the whole project is about that singer-songwriter, and you make 75 bucks for spending however many hours and however many rehearsals you have to learn 30 songs. So, you know, I have a few words for drummers about our particular role in the world as far as being sort of automatically considered sidemen, or, in you know, even worse, considering ourselves sidemen. And if no one is calling us, then we are worth less. You know, we, we don't have any value. So here's what I would say to you. Um, and this is what I've told some of my students. And, and I do a lot of sort of career development with people in addition to, you know, lessons. I feel that when, as a teacher, my job is to develop the entire person that I am dealing with, however they wish to be developed. And I'm going to try to do that as best that I can. Why? Because I feel that, you know, anybody can teach anybody to to move their arms and legs in a particular series of independence patterns and exercises and things. But there's much more, you know, if I have all these years of experience to share, why not share it? Why not try to really understand what the students' goals are, where they want to go, and then make our lesson experience a comprehensive one in terms of moving the entire person forward, not only in terms of their technical abilities, but in terms of how they think about music, how they think about themselves, confronting, um, you know, long-standing 
fears, anxieties, or maybe, you know, self-doubt that holds us back from achieving our, our highest potential as musicians. So a lot of my students, you know, they're frustrated because they've worked really hard, and yet they always, as I said, feel like they're perpetually shoved into the role of sideman. That drummers, it's really hard for a drummer to be a leader because, say, they don't write songs, um, or, you know, they, they um, maybe they're, you know, they're not a good self-promoter. A lot of people that run their own band are really good at hustling. I don't, you know, I don't feel that way. Or they just always feel like, you know, they, they've got to be, someone's got to call them in order for, for them to be involved musically. So a lot of times I say, look, do you, you know, do you have a practice space? Of course, a lot of drummers, because we have gear and we make a lot of loud sounds, we have to have some place to practice that is soundproofed and, you know, is, is a place, uh, a good rehearsal place. So, you know, uh, I say, do you, do you have a, a practice space? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, oftentimes I'm in over Skype. I'm that's where they, we do the lessons from. I say, well, you know, in your wildest dreams, who would you want to play with in say in your local area? What kind of a project would you want to do? And what, what kind of uh, people would you want to be in it? And most of the time they sort of feel like, well, yeah, if I really, you know, if I just had my fantasy list, I would definitely want to do this kind of band. I know exactly kind of the the music we'd want to do, and I know what, you know, and I know kind of the guys or gals in my neighbor in my area here that I would want to play with. But, you know, they're not going to want to play with me. And I say, "Well, yeah, they maybe, you know, that's what you think right now, but oftentimes what you know, think of yourself as in the sideman role. What is it that brought you to the table in a new project? Well, somebody said, hey, I've got work happening now. So if you, if you hook up this project, we're not just kind of starting something. There's, some, there's a goal. There's a, a foreseeable end goal that's already meaning gigs, and hopefully gigs, you know, that pay. And so, you know, you would be amazed at the type of the quality of musician that you can get to play with you if you set up things in a certain way. So number one is a rehearsal space. Uh, Number two, if you say you want a guitar player and a bass player or a keyboard player and a bass player to join you, um, you know, how expensive would it be to get a, a cheap amp or two and have them in the rehearsal space? If you want to have a vocalist come down, how expensive would it really be to get a cheap PA? You, you, you know, you look on Craigslist or look on eBay uh, or, you know, a lot, a lot of people have old crappy musical gear they're dying to get rid of for very little money. And you can, you know, for very cheaply provide um, a, a welcoming space. So, you know, now you call somebody up, you say, well, I've got, I've got this gig coming up in a couple months, and I'd love if you would be, you know, want to be uh, involved in this, in this project. And here's the songs we're going to do. Uh, and I've already got a rehearsal space organized, and there's amps, so you just have to bring your, your acts, you know, so to speak. And um, when they show up for the first rehearsal, you've got a couple six-packs, or you went ahead and bought a pizza. Now, yes... You had to go buy a pizza. You had to buy a couple of six-packs. But remember, we're talking about musicians here. If you give them a gig, and you give them some pizza and a beer, and you give them a place to practice, and they don't have to bring too much stuff, 
that's a pretty good deal for most musicians, including a lot of, you know, musicians that you think maybe are untouchable or unattainable. A lot of times a, a good side man is just looking for a good situation to become a part of. And even if they are better than you, you may, you may be surprised uh, in terms of who you're able to get if you set up the situation in this way. If you <clears throat> begin to take on some of the responsibilities as the leader in terms of hustling and getting gigs, making a game plan, a long-term game plan for this project, you might be able to get some really great sidemen to join you in your endeavor. And, you know, it involves taking some risks. It involves writing down a game plan. But I think a big part of this sort of switchover from being thinking of yourself permanently as a sort of a forever sideman versus, hey, I could do this, and this is possible. And, you know, to me, the best thing about being in a band where everyone is better than you is that now you really have a fire under your ass to step up and make it happen. You know, step up and better yourself so you become in the same caliber as as these folks that you're playing with. Um, <clears throat> the other thing about being a leader in this kind of a setting is that you get to choose who you play with, right? There's nothing worse than being in a band where, say, you know, you don't get along with the bass player, but or everyone in the band doesn't get along with the bass player, say, but you can't do anything about it. You're stuck, and the only solution you have is to leave that band. Well, if you're the leader of a band, you can hire people, hire the people you want. If they don't work out, now you're in the leader position, and you can hire someone else, you know? And so it it's, a, it's really a, an amazing experience to put the shoe on the other foot, especially if you're a drummer. I think drummers tend to be very organized in general. Drummers tend to often be the ones doing already doing the business in a band, the business part of it. Um, they Because we've had to carry gear our whole lives, we tend to have a certain amount of humility. So if, you know, we are running the band, then we are often good band leaders, right? We We have sort of this sense of also, you know, understanding what it's like to not be respected when you're just the drummer in the band, when you're, quote-unquote, the person who hang, you know, oh, how many people in your band, Bob? Oh, I've got five, Bill, four musicians and a drummer, right? So, you know, we, we're we always sort of considered almost non-musicians. So we, I think drummers, you know, part of the reason why we have such a strong um, community online, why we have wonderful drum festivals everywhere and PAS conventions and, you know, the hang at NAM is so great and, and all these Facebook groups uh, is because we understand, you know, what it's like to kind of be the dog of the band, as it were. We often are put in this role, like I said, sort of, we're always just a side man. The drummer doesn't really count, you know? So I think drummers make very good band leaders. And I think that, uh, I think that if, if, if hopefully some of you out there are listening to this and going, yeah, you know what? Maybe it really wouldn't be that hard. And it would be a good deal uh, for me to step up, especially after a lot of years of being a side man that maybe doesn't get the respect that you feel that you deserve. And at least if you try it and then you realize, man, I am, you know, I'm terrible at booking gigs and I don't like promoting. And I tried to write songs, but I think I just want to play my drums and I'm just cool for someone to hire me. 
then fine, you know, but at least you can say, I tried that and that really wasn't the role for me. On the other hand, you might discover that this leads you down incredible pathways, you know. Um, just again, a personal uh, personal tip. I mean, I've run my band in the form of Royal Crown Review for many, many years, but I've also been a high-paid sideman with Brian Setzer Orchestra, and I'm a sideman all the time in New York for one-offs or, you know, with different different folks who could you know, call me or not call me. Being a sideman for a living is a very, very stressful thing. Um, Because especially in a place like New York, you know, there's, the talent is so deep that, you know, there's, I know as a leader in places like LA and New York, I've got every chair in my band that I'm hiring for is five deep and they're all amazing players and I'd be happy to play with any of them. I might have my favorites, but, you know, choice number three is going to be just as good as choice number one. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's fun. And a lot of people, when you get to, you know, certain levels, like to play with many different musicians. They don't want to be stuck always hiring the same people. So for me personally, um, my experiences as a sideman I, I understand what's involved, and I certainly l- do get hired. But, you know, 15 years ago, I also said I really want... I went through a similar transition that I'm talking to you guys about right now. And I went through a similar transition where it was like, I need to be in charge of my own destiny to, to a certain degree. And that's when I started my brand, which effectively I call Daniel Glass, drummer, author, educator. It's not a very sexy or exciting name, but it clearly spells out what I do in the world. And, you know, when I moved to New York almost eight years ago now, I, I, my goal was to, um, to put the majority of my income, have that come to me through projects in which I was in charge, my brand. So my books, my DVDs, uh, myself as a clinician and an educator, myself as a, a drummer, um, you know, where, where I was in charge. And I, and I, when I moved here, I said, I will work as a sideman. Um, and, and I do a lot of gigs as a sideman. That's really developed over the years as people in this town get to know me and I begin to find my place, um, you know, within this scene. But if I had moved here with the sole purpose of being a sideman, I never would have lasted uh, because it, you know, I, it just wasn't my interest. Um, and when I, when I am hired as a sideman, I put on the sideman hat and I am absolutely deferential to what's going on with the leader and what my role is, I shut up. I don't stick my opinions in. I show up on time. I'm always looking good. I bring the appropriate gear. I, you know, go over the material if I need to in advance. Uh, In fact, I'm getting ready to go to rehearsal right now where, um, you know, I have to woodshed a tune uh, before this rehearsal. And I understand what I have to do, what my role is as a sideman. In other words, on the other hand, when it's my show, I know that the responsibility is on me, and I have to take pick up that hat. And in either case, there is clarity to what I'm doing. And I'm very happy with that, because when I moved here, you know, eight years ago to New York, I was maybe making 10 to 20% of my income from my brand, and the rest was from freelance gigs or being involved with my band, Royal Crown Review, which even though I was a leader of, and am still a leader of, it's a, it's a quite an endeavor, a massive endeavor, and um, was not my brand, my own personal brand. So now, 
you know, eight years later, I'd say I'm making 80 to 90% of my income from the brand and 10% from people calling me on the phone and saying, hey, are you available for this gig? And again, I don't mind that, but I don't want to depend on that, especially the older that I get and the more that I want to live my dreams. And at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, you know, am I fulfilling my purpose in life? Am I doing what makes me happy? At the end of my life, can I look back at how I've lived it and said, yes, I was happy with the choices I made. I did it my way, so to speak. And I know, you know, I'm getting a little uh, big and philosophical here, but that's what it comes down to. We don't want to spend our days, I, our, you know, we didn't do all this work to be in music only to be unhappy with the role that we inhabit. So I encourage you all to take some stock, to make some lists, to really be honest with yourself, to have some gut you know, wrenching conversations with your loved ones and those whose opinions you trust and those who know you well. And say to yourself, am I in the right role? Should I try on the other role? What might happen? What dreams that I dare not allow myself to think of, if I, you know, articulate those dreams out into the world, can I fulfill them so that I am not only playing music, but I am in a situation or situations where I feel happy, where I feel like I am being the person that I was meant to be, right? So I'm going to leave it there. I'd love to hear feedback from anybody on this. If you have anything else to offer in this situation uh, or in this scenario of, of roles, leader, sideman, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm always around. Uh, I'm easily reachable. You can write to me on my website, danielglass.com, my Facebook page, uh, Daniel Glass Drummer, Author Educator. And of course, you can leave a comment uh, right here on Drummer's Resource on the podcast page for this individual episode. Uh, and of course, one last reminder, we are um, open, registration is open for the 2018 Daniel Glass uh, Jazz Intensive. Um, I'm just about to announce a very special guest artist that we're going to have at this year's intensive, and that is happening June 1st through the 4th, 2018, at the Drummers Collective in um right here in Manhattan, New York. If you uh, want more information about that, just go to danielglass.com and check out the, uh, click on the clinics slash intensives tab and uh, you can check out all the stuff we have going on for the intensive. It's going to be a great four days and nights here in New York City. All right, on that note, I will leave it and keep swinging and uh, we'll see you next time on the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. Drummer's Resource.